So you drafted a fantasy football team. Big deal. Ooh, Ooh wow. Ooh. Good job. Drafting is only half the battle. A month from now, you're going to wake up, check your team, and see that your three best players are hurt. Now what? You need to play the waivers, make trades, know who to start. And that's what we're here for. We're coming to you four times a week during the regular season to give you everything you need to win your league and dominate your group chat. Search for the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe. It's the Ringer Gambling Show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler. Visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first Monday episode of the Ringer Gambling Show. Today, I am joined by Chris Vernon. Every single Monday, he and I are going to get together. We're going to take a look back at the week's action. I know he was probably so excited about week one kicking off. It was a really stressful day of emotion trying to keep up with all the action. It always is the first week of the year, just trying to get back into this mode until we get a little bit more settled. But Chris, how did you feel about week one in the NFL? Oh, I loved it. You know, you've got, you got your fantasy team or your multiple fantasy teams. You've got your bets. And then I don't have the Warren Sharp set up, but I did a couple of years ago invest in three TVs in a room. There so go. I've got three going at one time. And my son is now of the age where he wants to watch all the games too. And he's got his own fantasy teams. And so it was great. I kicked back and watched them all day. And a lot of shocking results, Warren. You know, the first thing I want to ask you is you make a living keeping up with this stuff. Underdogs were covering at what seemed to be a crazy rate. I mean, there were 11 underdogs that covered, but there were eight of those that not only did they cover, they won the games outright. Is that is that extreme what we saw in week number one with that amount of underdogs? not only covering, but winning their games? It is extreme, Chris. I'll go back through some history real quick for you. So the last time that we saw at least 73% of underdogs cover the spread, even 70%, it's only happened once in the last 20 years. Uh, sorry, once in the last 30 years. And that was back in 1999. So that was the last time that we saw over 70% of underdogs cover their spread. Now, in terms of underdogs winning the games outright, um, we saw seven underdogs win outright in 99. We saw seven underdogs win outright in 2014. We saw seven underdogs win in 2002 and 2006. But in the last 30 years, we have never seen eight underdogs win outright. So definitely some great um, opportunities for these dogs. And I think one of the things that we always find week one 
is that there's no shades of gray in the offseason. Teams are either painted with a black or white brush. They're either good or they're bad. They're the Houston Texans and they would never win a game. They're the Green Bay Packers and they've got their MVP back. And this is going to be another playoff bound team. And even after the week one results, we do have to tone down our expectations of these teams. Everything is not going to be what just happened last week. That's why week two is a great week to bet in the NFL because you're going to be able to bet on a lot of these overreactions that are spun throughout the week uh, by the media. That being said, I mean, there's nothing that you can understate here. It was an absolutely incredible performance by the underdogs week one. Oh, I wish I would have had them all in some kind of a round robin. There's somebody out there that threw a bunch of underdogs in a round robin, and they absolutely banked. And it wasn't just that underdogs covered and underdogs won, Warren. It was the margin in which the line was off. You had the Cardinals, who were two-and-a-half-point underdogs, beat the Titans by 25 points. You have Philly, who's a three-and-a-half-point underdog, win by 26 in their game against the Falcons. And then the biggest of all, the Saints, they're three-and-a-half-point underdogs. They win the game by 35 points. So let's kind of go through those three and how the line was so unbelievably off in those games. The Cardinals, the Eagles, the Saints. Pick whichever one you want to start with. Well, I'll start with the Arizona Cardinals. Um, that was one that we we happened to be on, and we got some good information on Sunday morning that uh, triggered us to jump onto that one. And look, that was a game where they completely overwhelmed the Tennessee Titans offensive line. And I think that really made the difference. Their ability to jump out early um, and be productive. Tennessee's defense is bad. Their secondary is bad. And this is why I always, you know, I wrote about it in my offseason uh, football preview. When you have a defensive-minded head coach and then your defense is bad, like, what are we doing here? Um, so I know that the Tennessee Titans have been good for the last couple of years. Um, and, and and so that's why Mike Vrabel has been respected around the league. But you know, he's a defensive-minded guy, and his defense has been objectively bad. And it's still bad once again. They don't have the secondary to contain. Uh, they don't have the pass rush. And we saw Kyler Murray. I mean, look. He's a difficult guy to track down, but they could not get their hands around that guy. And he was completing passes downfield with regularity attacking this Tennessee Titans week secondary for Philadelphia. I think this was the case. So Arizona and Tennessee, their season win totals were high. Everybody kind of expected those two teams to be respectable. You know, Arizona still was the fourth place team in the NFC West, but that whole division won their games yesterday. That whole division, probably the best division in the NFL. The Atlanta Falcons and the Philadelphia Eagles were different because both these teams were expected to be under 500. Both these teams were expected to have losing records. Um, so that was a little bit more surprising to some people with regard to how much better Philadelphia looked. Uh, they were expected to be a bad team. A lot of people were pegging them to be the worst team in the NFC East, and the NFC East is a bad division. I mean, they're, they're, they were projected by the odds makers even to be the worst team in the division. One of the interesting Interesting things in that game, Chris, we talked about it on some of the preview shows, was Arthur Smith coming from Tennessee, and they had the number one red zone offense in Tennessee. They were expected to come from Tennessee and bring that red zone success with them, and that absolutely did not happen. He went down into the red zone multiple times early in the game and was not able to score points. Uh, they, they settled for field goals instead of touchdowns, and that really set the tone. This team needs to score touchdowns. They go down their first drive to the Philadelphia three, kick a field goal from the three, go to the Philadelphia nine, kick a field goal from the nine. And then it was nothing but punts and turnovers on downs for this team. Um, I liked some of the things that I saw from Arthur Smith, Chris, in Tennessee, the motion rates, the play action rates, but it's always interesting to see when a first year head coach now has to make those tough calls. Do we punt it or do we go for it? 
Are we going to attempt this fourth down? Are we going to pass the ball on these first and tens when we're down 22 to six in the early part of the fourth quarter? How aggressive do we need to be and how early do we need to start being aggressive in the game? And I really felt like Arthur Smith botched a lot of the key decision-making things that were on his plate for the very first time as a head coach. I don't think he performed very well in those situations. He took ownership after the game and said he didn't prepare his team. Well, he maybe didn't prepare his team, but he didn't prepare himself to make these tough calls. It's all about aggression. It's about jumping out early in leads, and they absolutely did not do it. I think that game was, like Arizona, in part Philly's defense, and in part their offense. They did not ask a lot out of Jalen Hurts. He had the lowest intended air yards of any quarterback on the slate this week. Uh, He was throwing the ball extremely short. His intended air yards were uh, 3.7 intended air yards downfield. But they didn't need to push the ball very far down the field because this Falcons defense couldn't cover them. And I think you got an element here. Last point on this game, Chris. Dean Pease, the defense coordinator, tries to send exotic blitzes. You don't know really what he's cooking up. And I say, I think that played a role in their decision-making to just get the ball out of Hertz's hands quickly. And he exceeded expectations compared to last year. If you look at some of the metrics for uh, Jalen Hurts last season, he, he was at a 7.8 air yards, uh, intended air yards on completed passes last season, down at 3.4. Now you might say, okay, that's a bad thing. Well, It's actually a good thing because of how successful those passes were. Um, They're putting him in better situations to succeed. Uh, He was eighth among all passers in expected completion percentage this game. Last year, he was dead last in the NFL. So the coaching staff put him in good situations. It'll be interesting to see. This is one of the big games that I'm looking forward to. The San Francisco 49ers versus the Philadelphia Eagles. That should be an exciting uh, game this upcoming week. It's odd. In two of those games, obviously, there's a connection with Arthur Smith because I was reading something yesterday talking about, and this was a preview for the Titans game, and it was like, hey, keep an eye on Tannehill and that offense and see how it looks this year because here we're right, and it, and it kind of outlined Tannehill's numbers under every offensive coordinator slash coach that he has had prior to, and then his numbers under Arthur Smith. And then they said, uh, as the article went on, it said, now here's a guy that is taking over who's going to be calling the plays for Tannehill. He wasn't all that impressive with the Raiders way back when, so he may be middle of the pack in terms of you know a play caller or somebody that uh, typically gets the most out of their quarterbacks. And so... You know, you never know how this stuff is going to play out, but there was part of me that as I'm watching that game, I'm like, I'll be damned. What if Ryan Tannehill, I don't want to say was an Arthur Smith creation, but you have a much bigger sample size of him being one kind of quarterback, and then he was just, I mean, you could put his numbers up against literally anybody in the NFL over his tenure with Arthur Smith these last couple of years, and he got a huge contract because of it. Um So you have that on that side and the Titans looking rather miserable. And then on the other side, I figured maybe this will bode very well for Atlanta. You already spoke on, you know, the Smith debut, but you know, they spent number four of the four pick in the draft on Kyle Pitts. And I mean, there wasn't much there that, you know, for, for Kyle Pitts and putting up six points in that game. It's not like, the 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 Eagles or the two thousand Ravens or something uh, on defense and so it was interesting that there was the the Arthur Smith connection on one hand I think man maybe the Titans really miss this guy on the other hand he surely didn't prove much or improve the offense in week one at least for Atlanta I guess time will tell what about the other one the Saints game. Jameis Winston was, I mean, you cannot have a better debut as starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. Uh, And the Saints looked rather devastating on their side of the, uh, on their side. And the Packers who had had a lot of off season turmoil looked like a team that had had a lot of off season turn turmoil. I, I cannot remember the last time I watched a Packers team look as 
dysfunctional and as dominated as they did in that game against New Orleans. What do you make of that? Because, I mean, it was Saints plus three and a half, and they won the damn game by 35 points. Yeah, a few different things in that game. Um, Look, Aaron Rodgers... I, first of all, I don't think this is the Packers team that we'll see the rest of the year. There's been some teams where I don't know, sometimes where I don't know what the hell this coaching staff and a couple with Aaron Rodgers are doing to get ready for a game, but they just look completely outmatched and they never get back on track. They're just like out of the game. And, and Aaron Rodgers looks like he's staring off into, into space, trying to like read the fine print on some type of, uh, uh, aerial <laughs> advertisement flying over the beach or something like that. Um, he just isn't tuned in to what's going on around him. Uh, he completed just 15 of 28 passes, averaged only 4.8 yards per attempt. His average completion came just 3.9 yards past the line of scrimmage, the fourth lowest for any quarterback this week. Uh, that was despite an average depth of target of eight yards. So, uh, you know, the yards per completion versus the yards per attempt, night and day difference uh, in terms of his target depth. And I, what was less understanding is this team is trailing throughout the entire course of the game. And his average target depth of eight yards on all passes was only right around the middle of the pack. I mean, there was like, 15 quarterbacks that had a higher intended air yards than what Aaron Rodgers did. When he did throw the ball 10 plus yards down the field, he only did that seven times and only completed two of them. So it's like you're down and you're getting your ass kicked, but you're not pushing the ball down the football field. Their offensive line had a few issues. The Saints defense looked really good. And Jameis Winston didn't actually have to do a whole lot in this game, but when he did, he was effective, and the five passing touchdowns were absolutely incredible. Um, they do have this bigger, deeper, explosive element, even though they have no-name receivers, uh, and it speaks to Sean Payton's system and the things he dials up. I said before the season, if the Saints make the playoffs this year, after losing Drew freaking Breeze, um, and now they're going to James Winston, who obviously had a bad uh, like public opinion, the consensus opinion on Jameis Winston was not that high. Even the Saints were like seriously considering starting Taysom freaking Hill over Jameis Winston. So even the own, their own team was like, I don't know if I'm sold on this guy. And then if they're able to play anywhere like this and get to the playoffs, I mean, that's coach of the year in my book right now. It's kind of wild, Warren, because I, I don't know if you heard Drew Brees last night, but it was certainly funny talking about, you know, kind of what they've been missing. Uh, you know, he was praising the offensive line, but he was talking about the ability to hit those deep throws. And there were some that made you think like, man, were some of those, have some of those been there in terms of design and you know, it's it's not like you're ever going to run Drew Brees out of town, but you know there was a limitation in terms of how far you were going to be able to stretch the field. Say what you want about Jameis Winston. There is no limitation as to how far you could stretch the field. And some of that stuff downfield was certainly there. And he's been connecting on these. It looked good in the preseason a couple of times that he's connecting on them. And certainly uh, week one, he was he was dynamite. I mean, to, to throw five touchdowns in your debut as a starting quarterback is going to win a whole lot of people over rather quickly. Um, and credit to Sean Payton for sure. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. How about these other ones? So... We covered the. We kind of talked on the Cardinals and the Phil and Philly and the Saints. Which of the other underdogs that won their game outright stood out to you the most? So you got Chargers, Texans, Steelers, Bengals, Dolphins. Which of those five stood out to you the most, or shocked you the most by winning their opening game? 
by by far and away, it's obviously the Houston Texans uh, to me. Um, look, the, I'll t- I'll talk about a couple of these others briefly, and then we'll touch on the Texans. Um, Miami Miami earned that cover, but they should have lost the game. The Patriots fumbled the football right there at the end. They were set up to drain the clock down and kick a field goal and win the game by two points. Um, Tua looked good on some throws. I was overall, I overall thought he met my expectations. He didn't exceed them. He didn't look great. He, uh, he threw one touchdown, one interception, like, but I thought it was a difficult place and environment for him to be playing in on the road against that defense week one. Um, So Miami's got to be absolutely extended static that they won the game but in terms of like deserving to or being surprised um i thought new england deserved to win and i'm not all that surprised it it, it was a tight game and a, a close spread chargers chargers frankly uh obviously got lucky that ryan fitzpatrick went out with the injury um, but the Chargers offense, I think they were two of six inside of the red zone. They could have scored more points. They just bumbled it up a little bit against a very good Washington defense. Once again, that was a tight line. I think it opened. There was lines that, you know, the Chargers were short favorite. Then Washington became the favorite. Um, I ended up staying away on that game, although I actually, like if I was going to bet it, I would have taken Washington. Um, and I, I felt like if Ryan Fitzpatrick was there, maybe the result is a little bit different. Uh, the Bengals, you know, I saw Bengals on Sunday morning. Uh, that was a sharp bet, uh, came in plus three and look, I was a little bit surprised at how bad Mike Zimmer's defense looked in that game. Uh, Joe Burrow, all the talk about this team, the Bengals was Joe Burrow's uncomfortable. Joe Burrow can't throw the football, uh, because of the pressure that's all around him. Like nothing wrong with his arm talent or anything, but just his comfort level in the pocket was not there. Jamar Chase can't catch the football. It was like totally negative vibes about the Cincinnati Bengals. And then on the other side of the football, it's like Mike Zimmer's got all these defensive guys back, the COVID opt-outs, the health, everybody's back. Their offense should be fine. They're going up against it. And the Bengals were up 21 to seven. I mean, the Bengals should have won that game by a larger amount. Um, So frankly, that... I did not, there were some very sharp guys that bet the Minnesota Vikings over on their win total. And maybe they will get there, but I could never get on that bandwagon. Like I just couldn't pull the trigger to get on that bandwagon. But if you asked me like three months ago, so before the the training camps even started, the mood on the Minnesota Vikings was at a super high and the mood on the Cincinnati Bengals was like at a super low. And as training camp started, Minnesota started losing guys. Minnesota started not looking so good. Then you got the COVID issues, all these other things. It was all negative throughout the entire Minnesota camp. It just was not good vibes. Um, And so I was surprised at how good Cincinnati looked against the team that many were predicting to exceed their win total to make the playoffs. Um, So that would be number two for me. The Pittsburgh Steelers beating the Bills was not all that shocking. Pittsburgh's pass rush gives this team difficulty. And, you know, Pittsburgh, if I had to bet that game, I would have been on Pittsburgh, but I did not bet that game. Um, That did not surprise me all that much. What surprised me is how good the Steelers looked in the second half compared to the first half. The first half, the Pittsburgh Steelers were atrocious. They had three first downs. They were gaining, I think, like 2.7 yards per play. Their uh, running game, uh, Najee Harris, was gaining 1.1 yards per carry on like seven or eight rushing attempts. It was pathetic what this offense was doing to start. And then they turned things on and got back on track a little bit more in the second half. And that pass rush was just giving Josh Allen fits the entire day. Clearly, though, Chris, the number one most surprising, if number two is Cincinnati, the number one for me is the Houston Texans. I think this, though, speaks more to the Jacksonville Jaguars defense. I mean, there were time and time again where Tyrod Taylor is just chucking the ball up, like literally just throwing Hail Marys, (laughs) and his team was coming down for it. This Jacksonville Jaguars defense is atrocious. I mean, and this is where I was wrong. I was saying... Pump the brakes a tiny bit on Jameis Winston. Like, I do think he looks great. That preseason game where he played the Jaguars and threw those couple of touchdowns. I was like, but this is the Jaguars defense. I mean, this defense is terrible. So let's see what he does. Let's see what Winston does in a regular game. I was right on the fact that the Jaguars defense was terrible. Um, I was wrong to think that Jameis may not look as great in the regular season. Um, Not that I was betting against him or anything, but um, I just wanted to see it actually play out. 
no doubt about it. The Jaguars defense stinks, but Houston, I mean, they could be not the worst team in the NFL this I, year. I, 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 all right, let me ask you about this because it was a year ago that we did a podcast right after week one. And you, you may remember this in week one, uh, the Colts lost to the Jaguars. Yep. And we came on and we said, look, 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 look. We're not going to overreact to this. We still think the Colts are going to be good. We still think the Jaguars are not going to be that good. And I did get a little of the, you know, last year's Jaguar vibes from that Texans performance where it was, okay, are, it, there's going to be a, a, a lot of – Maybe they're not as bad as we thought they were going to be. And that we did that with the Jags last year. And then they, that was the last game they won. They didn't win another game yeah. the rest of the entire and, and season. The, and the Texans. And the Colts went to the playoffs. Right. So if the Texans still end up being horrendous, we are going to look back at that week one and be like, wow, that was crazy. Right? Like there are some odd things that happen in week one. Tyrod, look, the, the, absolutely. Tyrod Taylor in this game had the fifth highest intended air yards, 9.5, even though they were leading the entire game. But his expected completion percentage was only 0.4 above expectation. So he he had a good game. He had a good game. But it's not as if like he was fitting balls into tight windows and like dominating everywhere. Like he, he played well and they should be very happy, but I a hundred percent agree that like, we should not all of a sudden think that this team is really on track to have an above average season. What the issue becomes with the Houston Texans is, and, and I kind of was on this before the season when I was looking at win totals and who plays what divisions, I expected the NFC North to be bad. And they obviously, every team lost their games yesterday. I mean, it's one game sample size, of course. So let's let's pump the brakes a little bit. But I also expected the AFC South, AFC South to be somewhat of a disaster. And all of these teams looked pathetic. Obviously, the Texans won against the Jaguars, but the other two teams lost and those games weren't particularly close either. Yeah, and uh, for on the Tyrod front, I will say, when you were saying it's not like he's exactly throwing it into all these tight windows. I mean, Brandon Cooks is just open. He's just open. <laughs> I mean, like the routes he runs, and I mean, some of those, he is, he's fantastic. I don't know how, that dude, I feel, I swear to God, the guy's on a different team every other year, it feels like, uh, with Brandon Cooks. And he's, and he gets open no matter what. But the Jags, back to the drawing board. I, let me ask you about, I did not think Lawrence looked, Terrible. He's going to make rookie mistakes, but there are moments uh, within that game. I did have that on on one of the screens because I wanted to check him out. Um, I'm still very, very high on him, and I do think that despite the fact that you know that's a you start your season with an absolute thud, I do think that there is a real possibility that we're going to look this season and that kid ends up having some really big games, even as a rookie. Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean, three thirty-two with three touchdowns. I think if you're playing fantasy, that's those are good numbers, yep. and I think he's going to get you some yards on the ground as well uh, over the course of the season. The issue though with him. He had an expected completion percentage over uh, a completion percentage over expectation CPOE of minus twelve point nine, so basically minus thirteen percent, which was the worst of any quarterback in the NFL. Wow! In other words, you could track using tr player tracking data uh, based upon the distance down the field and how far your receiver is away from the offensive player and how much time the quarterback has in the pocket, like as he's about to throw the ball, where the nearest pass rusher is, what some of these expected completion percentages are. And he averaged 13% below the expectation on his passes. So it was a bad game for him. Yeah, but you got to give him a very break at his first NFL game. A hundred percent. Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson, he was uh, number two worst yeah. on this list too, another rookie. So there are learn, uh, learning pains, growing pains that these guys are going to go through. I agree with you. The arm talent is what stood out, like the flashes of, of, of brilliance from a passing perspective that he had. You could tell when he was like throwing the ball down the field, like, okay, he's 
aiming it here at the right location and at, from an accuracy perspective compared to like what Tyrod Taylor was doing sometimes, just like chucking and hoping. Um, so the, the arm talent clearly jumped off the page difference night and day between Trevor Lawrence uh, and Tyrod Taylor, but it's a growing pains. He's got to have to learn to when to tuck it, when not to throw certain passes. Some of the reads that he was making were clearly wrong um, and set his team up uh, after turnovers, well, three interceptions. I did love get. I did love that is one of the most fun things about every NFL season is getting to watch these rookie quarterbacks. And I did love getting to watch Mac Jones for the Patriots. I did love getting to watch Lawrence. I did love getting to watch Zach Wilson for the Jets. And I tremendously resent watching Trey Lance and Justin Fields be put in as wildcat quarterbacks. <laughs> and that's the only thing that I get to see from them. Uh, though they were both effective, right? They were both effective in their wildcat type formations, their red zone uh, packages, but the rookie quarterbacks for sure um, are fun. And it does look like this, this has been built up. A lot of them had some really nice preseason moments um, and it was built up as a very good rookie quarterback class. And, I don't particularly feel any differently about that uh, first impression wise after week one. I, I, and I can't wait. It's not going to be long until we see fields for sure. Lance, it might be a little while. Yeah. Well, I just, I, I just don't see the fields thing because to me, why look, the number one reason that you don't want fields out there is because he's going to get killed. Like you think he's going to get killed. He's not making the right reads. And, and, and trust me, like, I probably do think it would be easier on Nagy just to start fields. Like all the fans would shut up it would. and that's kind of like the easier move. So there must be something that he's thinking about. And I don't know if it's as dumb as like, well, we brought in Andy Dalton and sort of promised this and he agreed to sign here. So we got to give him something. It's a hundred percent what it is. Did you hear the Collinsworth oh, monologue there on was, Sunday there was, night? I tweeted I've, about this. I was like, bro, if you don't shut up, like this was so, I met with the coaches, they fed me all this baloney, and I am going on the national broadcast and repeating, it's just nonsense. It was like, you know, you know, Al, the thing that you want is it's a long season. You know, 17 games now and him running around back there. And then and then the other uh, the other one was, you know, you want him to learn the speed of the game and, to, you know, that sometimes you got to give up on a play and check it down. And I'm like, I'm sitting there watching Andy friggin' Dalton play quarterback. And I'm like, bro, if you don't stop with this, this is madness. And it was the same <laughs> way in the preseason when they were televising games on the NFL Network and it was the Bears radio host or TV you know, host broadcasting that game. It is as if the Bears went on a PR campaign to tell anybody <laughs> who's broadcasting their games, here's the script of what you need to say about Andy yes. Dalton. If you don't, if you don't get on the board with our program here, we're not granting you access to interviews with the coaching staff next time we play on national. Like, I don't know what they did, but all of these people were just ranting and raving about Andy Dalton. And when you looked at Andy Dalton in that game, I was tweeting out some of his passing charts. I mean, this guy was not throwing the ball more than 10 yards down the field. Any pass he threw over 10 yards, I think was incomplete. Um, they were losing the entire game. They were just throwing short. Uh, there was a clip I tweeted out, the clip itself, not a chart, but the clip of it's third and 10. They're going to be going forward on fourth down. It's in the fourth quarter. I mean, the game's over, right? But he just stares down his tight end who is, is running three yards down the field to the left sideline and is not running anywhere. Is not going to come close to making this first down. And Andy Dalton just stares him down and fires off this pass and it bounces on the ground before it even reaches the guy. Like there was just no aggression. You cannot, how can you sell to the city of Chicago that we are actually trying to win games with an offensive game plan like that when you got Fields sitting back there. Well, and this one I knew it was gross, uh, Warren, was the first drive of the game. Collinsworth, in this bizarre way, started talking about Andy Dalton driving them down the field. Bro, he had completed one pass. They ran the ball for like 50 yards, like immediately. And I'm like, Andy Dalton getting them down the field? Like, what is this? It really felt like there was a PR campaign for Andy Dalton. And then, of course, he throws the red zone pick. And as a Cowboys fan, I was like, I, I told my son, I said, I li we lived this life, right? Which is like, 
You're down there. It's third down. I don't care if you lay on the ground. Just lay on the ground. At least I get three points. Somehow, some way, you figure out how to get zero out of it. And then, of course, you knew that, uh, you know, with his new toy, McVay was going to be like, yo, air this thing out. And they score in three plays, uh, you know, going the other way after they had gotten the red zone pick. I mean, points left out on the table. And, of course, you got Fields sitting over there. It it depresses me, standing on the sideline, watching this guy stink. He's over there looking at the iPad on the bench, watching. <laughs> we're all like, we're all thinking the same thing. And I guess they mentioned that the Chicago fans had like booed <laughs> Andy Dalton the last time around or whatever. So it's obviously become a real uh, a source of controversy. And, you know, the sooner the better, at least at least you get to see well, fields the, in there probably sooner than later. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say on this game, like Chicago was able to run the football and that's how they were able to move the ball down the field and these little dink and dunk passes which the char- which the Rams defense was allowing and that's exactly though what is going to prevent a team like the Bears from actually winning this game outright. Like the Rams defense was designed to tempt you to do these little dink and dunk stupid things that are going to slowly move the ball down the field and maybe you'll get a shot at a field goal and maybe you'll feel good about yourself, but you never realistically will have a chance to win this football game, right? And the Bears just played right into it. And I think, yes, Justin Fields will probably make a couple more mistakes. However, you can design a lot of run game and other schemes and uh, really decoy and show some move, show some things to the opposing defense that they're not going to get looks that they're not going to get with Andy Dalton back there under center. That could actually raise the upside of a lot of your other plays and concepts. Um, so I don't know the inner workings of what's going on there. I just know as a fan of football, I want to see a player who's going to give this team the best chance to win games and produce points out there. And I felt like Andy Dalton wasn't that guy, but we'll see how they how quickly they might make the change moving forward. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddleboards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. All right, let's talk about bets. Uh, The you got lucky to win if you bet blank in week one. Who do you think you you got lucky to win if you bet who? To me, it's clear cut. It's the Lions. Um, Look, the Lions, they lost by eight, but... They were down massively. They come back and they score 16 unanswered in the fourth quarter. Uh, they're, they're down 38 to 10 at one point in this game, and they lose only 41 to 33. So it, it was it was absolutely um, a major backdoor cover. Now that line was great to tease if you did decide to tease for the 49ers. But on Sunday, that thing went from seven and a half to eight to eight and a half. And uh, so certainly there are some people that were taking a little bit of Detroit late um, that did end up getting um, a push uh, on that game. So I think you were you were lucky that you didn't lose that bet um, if you bet the Lions. All right, let me ask you though. Hey, I know you love Kyle Shanahan. Media loves Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan, the genius. Is there something to the blown lead thing that if you if this were another coach, people would be jumping his ass? And it's not like he has not resided over. Obviously, the worst was the Super Bowl. Keep in mind, though, his his other team, his 49er team, was up double digits with six minutes to go on the Chiefs. Like his teams have blown some leads now, Warren, and that's week one, and he's up by a million. And, you know, there's part of me that sits back and watches, and I'm like, you know, he never gets busted up like this, but there, it's not like you're always totally out of it 
when his offense runs it up on you because we have seen in some very famous spots and some even non-famous spots, teams come charging back on his teams. No doubt, and it is a problem. It's a problem with their play calling, but this season it's also a problem with their defense because I don't think their secondary is very good. Um, and they just lost Jason Verrett to a torn ACL. This secondary is going to be a liability and is going to allow any team that falls behind to get back into the game, which is why it's massively important that they're able to get more pressure um, with their pass rush because this secondary is going to give up plays when teams are chucking on them. And if Jared Goff can chuck on you, now we have seen Jared Goff chuck on teams from time to time throughout his career, but you know that was with Sean McVay calling plays, and I was with some better wide receivers that he has uh, than he has here. I mean, we're talking about he's he's chucking to like just a bunch of no names out there that are moving the ball down the field, creating plays. I will say it was a very simplistic game plan from this Lions team. A lot of passes to Swift and to Hawkinson, and they, they were very very rarely targeting their wide receivers. Um, and that's part of the reason that they fell behind so early. Uh, the 49ers were just able to figure it out. But I don't disagree. Kyle Shane has got to improve. There's no excuses to be made. I will say, I will say this, uh, the, the whole keep on fighting thing everybody goofed on Dan Campbell's you know his uh his, his opening press conference I didn't see any bitten kneecaps uh yesterday I don't think they I don't think they partook in the bitten kneecaps but you know if the whole idea is rah rah we never give up we're there for a fight like at least in week one they you can lay down when you're getting your ass kicked that bad, and they didn't lay down. I'll give them that. You know what I mean? The Lions, they kept on. They made that thing scary for for the 49ers. Um, if you can, if you could get a, if you get onside kick, then maybe it's a it's a different world. Um, what about the team that if you bet them, you got screwed? Obviously, you can't pick the 49ers, even though you did get screwed. If you pick the 49ers. You know, you got to feel great about it when you're up by a million and then somehow you don't get that gambling win. Uh, but from a gambling perspective, you think that you got screwed if you bet blank in week one? Well, it almost was going to be the Cleveland Browns. I mean, that 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 game, they had so much in the bag. And then we saw the fumble in Kansas City territory. And then we saw they go three and out and they punt for the first time. And the punter just drops the football. And all of a sudden, Kansas City's back up with the lead. And it was just like, are you serious? Because that was one thing that we were on. You, you take the six with the Browns. You're, you're leading most of the game. You're in a great position to win that game outright. And they almost lose the cover. It was funny when they were down, um, when they were up, I think it was like 22 to 10. Um, and they had the football. I was live betting some Kansas City money line just a little bit, but it was like plus 185. Uh, and I actually parlayed that with Sunday night football, uh, with the Rams because I just thought the Rams were going to crush the bears. Uh, and so that was, that was pretty nice, but, um, Mahomes is never out of it. And I think that's got to be extremely discouraging for a team like the Browns, because from a game plan standpoint, they played basically the perfect game plan. They were aggressive when they needed to be, and it paid off. Baker Mayfield was looking excellent for the majority of that game with, with the exception of that interception that he threw that ended up sealing the game. It didn't lead to any more Chiefs points, but it prevented the outright win for the Cleveland Browns. Everything that Cleveland did in that game what was basically right from a coaching standpoint. It was just a couple of unlucky bounces of the football and they lose well, well you mean you mean offensively yeah off offensively a couple unlucky bounces okay yeah yeah because i i i think you could i think you could say their game plan against tyree kill might have left well that they, they, they lose their safety <laughs> early on in that game for right. this whole shoving incident with a coach which i thought that was a little bit nonsensical i think the one play to tyreek where mahomes just is an alien and tyreek and 
uh, the D, the D, DB who's on him both basically basically thought that the play was over. Like Mahomes couldn't get the ball there. And all of a sudden it's there in the guy's hands. And that was like a, a lack of concentration by the DB because he's standing right there next to Tyree Kill uh, to tackle him. Th there's some absurdities that happen, but I thought defensively, yes. Um, look, they limited Kansas City, Kansas City early. Uh, but I think that's got to be very discouraging, not only for Cleveland, but also for the rest of the AFC and the NFL in general. It's like, I, but, but maybe, maybe discouraging, but on the other hand, encouraging, because I think Browns fans probably feel a little bit like Cowboys fans. And I say this as a Cowboy fan, where you lost to a Super Bowl representative. But you didn't hate everything about the way your team looked, and it you 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 could come out of. I think the Browns fans and Cowboys fans could both come out of their games and reasonably think we could have good seasons. Like, yeah, we lost to Mahomes, we lost to Brady, but these could still be good seasons. You weren't massively discouraged about what took place simply because of who you were going up against. That that's great that's great perspective too. Um I could see that point of view as well. Um I can't really say anything negative about that. The issue that I just have for Cleveland is I thought Kansas City, right, they settled for a field goal early in the game. Andy Reid wasn't making like his best decisions and and yet they still are able to win the game. I just felt like the way that that game played out, like absolutely the the Browns fans 90% of the game, they're winning. They should be happy. They lost the game, but they still feel good about it. But deep down on in the Browns locker room, you know, it's like we had this team on the ropes. We played perfectly. We made a couple of mistakes and, and that cost us the game. But like, what are we going to do next time that we play these guys? How can we actually play better than what we did? And then again, you got to decide how much you believe in Baker and what Baker can become because this happened last year when the stakes were highest and it happened now in week one. And that is the difference between like, uh, say, say Mahomes and Brady, whatever, that if you give them the ball back with two minutes left, you're like, oh, I lost. And they've gotten the ball with two minutes left and Baker Mayfield's got to be that dude. You know, the guy that I like, oh, crap. Now, now you know, we're, we're in trouble. And you've got to deliver. I don't care about the circumstances. I don't care. He's trying to throw the ball out of bounds and he got his, you know, foot tangled up in a bear trap or whatever. Like, in two minutes left, are you the guy that when we kick it off and you got to go down and get points to win the game, that you can go deliver on that? And that is juxtaposed with, and I will just say, is if it like, like, I thought when Dallas got the ball back, Dak's going to go lead him down and he's going to get him points. Like, I think he's built for it. I, I believe in him that if it's two minute drill time and he's got to go down and you got to get a field goal or you got to get a touchdown that he can do it. And obviously the, then the, they, they do score and then they kick it off to Tom Brady. And I'm like, okay, we're done. <laughs> I guess I've watched this for 20 years. <laughs> there's, there's the end of that game, but that's the thing. You got it. You got to think of Baker like that, right? Like that's how you feel good about it. That's how, that's how it can be different. You're getting the ball back with a chance to go win the game with two minutes left to go playoffs. And in week one, He's got to go deliver. End of story. I, I hear you on that. Like th That's why this is a great discussion to have because there are both different ways to spin this thing. I agree that Baker needs to like be able to do a little bit better in crunch time. In this game, though, here, here's like my final point that I'll make about like how great the Cleveland Browns played and yet they still lost this game. Baker Mayfield had a an aggressiveness in a quotient, which is basically like, how often are you fitting the ball into tight windows and completing these passes? Like how, how um, like aggressive basically are you trying to be with your throws? 32% of his attempts were aggressive throws. That was the highest in the NFL. His intended air yards of 9.8 was third highest in the NFL. So they were throwing the ball down the field. They were being very aggressive with their passes, throwing into tight windows. And he completed 14.8% of passes above expectation. That was number one in the NFL. We're talking like the number one most aggressive, the number one best completion percentage over expectation, a very deep passing offense. 
and yet they still came up short. All of that still wasn't enough to win this game. So to- there's no wrong way to argue this. Great uh, strategy by the Browns, great performance for the vast majority of the game for Baker Mayfield, something that the Browns fans will think, hey, he's come around. Hey, he looks even better year two under Stefanski. Hey, we've got a lot of hope for this upcoming season. Also though, the reality How much more can you do than number one in the NFL and so many of these metrics, massive improvement over last year, and you still can't beat Mahomes and team who played poorly in that first half of the game. It's just, that's what's, that's what it is about beating, uh, beating the 40, beating the, uh, Kansas city chiefs, right? You know, you got to come out and get a lead early. You know, you got to hold on to a lead. You know, you got to be aggressive. You know, you got to go for it on fourth down. You know, you can't settle for field goals. And sometimes even when you do those things, you still don't win. That's why it's just got to be frustrating a little bit, uh, you know, but great game. Awesome game week one that we were blessed to see that game unfold. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about some overreactions and teams. And and you can tell me if you think this is, is an overreaction or not. So I know that the Titans looked dismal. I thought Arizona looked fabulous and I am a Kyler guy and Kyler Murray who was averaging Big numbers, almost 70 rushing yards a game last year. You know, in week nine, he gets that shoulder injury. In week 11, he gets planted on it in that Seattle game. And there was this, there was some narrative of, oh, the league caught up to, uh, the, 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 the league caught up to Kyler Murray, right? Like now he's not running the ball like he did before or whatever. And there were, you know, we talked some like, hey man, this guy, He's not comfortable doing what he was doing. Like, he's not right. And yesterday, it was fabulous to see a guy that I thought looked like that Kyler Murray that kind of looked like a guy that could take the the league by storm uh, at the beginning uh, of, of last season. So you had that when he can buy himself time. And yes, the Titans defense stinks, but he was just running away from them. And running away from them, and when he has, when he can make that play, when you have to guard the DeAndre Hopkins and Rondale Moore and Christian Kirks of the world, not for like five or six seconds, but like 10 or 12 seconds, you are dead. Like if he can really buy that kind of time and uh, and and move around back there, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Wilson when he's got Metcalf and Lockett flying down the field. But if he can buy himself some extra time, he has got an absolute rocket for an arm and they're devastating. And also defensively, you know, Chandler Jones, like an all pro two years ago, and he only played five games last year. He, you know, he injured his bicep. He came out in this first game and he had, Five sacks in the game. And they added J.J. Watt, who was getting some pressure. Uh, they'll get a full season of Marcus Golden. Um, I, I don't know, man. I thought on both sides of the ball, Arizona was pretty damn good. Uh, they're supposed to be everybody's fourth favorite team in that NFC West, but I'm buying Kyler stock and I'm buying Arizona stock. Is that... Too big of an overreaction. Well, that's why what's going to set up great for week two is that the team that looked outstanding, Arizona, is going to play the team that looked terrible in Minnesota. That game's in Arizona right now. The Arizona Cardinals are laying four points, four and a half at some spots. And I agree with you. Kyler looked great. I have a lot of questions about Cliff Kingsbury. This is a big, important season for Cliff. Um... Kyler looked special. And what Kyler reminded me of is Kyler looked really good to start last season and then he got hurt. And then what we saw at the end of last season was a different looking Kyler and a different looking Arizona offense. And you you look at the overall numbers of the course of the season and it's not particularly impressive, but if you segregate out when he was playing when healthy and then when he was playing after he got injured, night and day statistically, and 
he looked great. You're absolutely right. It's impossible to get a hold of this guy. And uh, I, I think it's going to be a fun game and it's going to be really interesting. That game has the chance to have uh, massive swings in, in public expectation about both of these teams based upon the one week small sample size that they saw this past weekend. Real quickly, I do have to ask you, do you think that there is, and do you think we need to see week two or do you think there is real concern if you are a Packers fan? Um, no, I think we need to see week two. There, there should be, bo okay. both is true. I mean, I the Packers are trying to be built for this last dance, right? Aaron Rodgers tweeting out last dance type stuff. They're, they want to go to the Super Bowl and win it all. So absolutely, you're going to be like, holy shit, what was that that I just saw? This team can't win a Super Bowl. Are we kidding ourselves here? So there is going to be, strong negative reaction to it. And some of it is deserved. That said, in a 17 game season, they're about to play the Detroit Lions at home Monday night. They're laying 10 and a half points in this game. Let's see how this game looks. Let's see what this offense looks like here. Last two things. Uh, I know you love totals. Who was lucky to hit the under? Who was lucky to hit the over? Well, no doubt about it. The team that was lucky to hit the over was this Minnesota-Cincinnati game. And that was solely because Minnesota down 21-7, to drives down. They score late. They force overtime. They score 10 points um, in the fourth quarter of this game. And, you know, this, this game was 21-14 to into the fourth quarter. 24-14. to And, and then they, they, the total was 49 points. So, I mean, without Minnesota driving down, scoring a touchdown, getting the last second field goal, forcing overtime, and then, of course, another field goal in overtime, this game definitely goes under. The game that was, like, I mean, I would have been furious. This, this Stuff like this has happened to me before, um, but I would be absolutely livid here, is if you took the over in the Arizona-Tennessee game, that game somehow stayed under 52 points there were 51 points scored, not a single point scored in the final 18 <laughs> minutes of the game. It was 38 to 13 with three minutes to go in the third quarter. I can't imagine how good you had to feel had you bet the over in that game. The Arizona Cardinals had 24 points in the first half. Tennessee had six that's 30 points in the first half. You go over the first half total with ease. Second half, you come out, there's 21 more points scored in the third quarter. You're like, we got this and nothing. And it stays under the total. I mean, stuff like that has happened to me before and it's devastating. It's like, and, and if it happens week one, you absolutely are feeling like, Okay, this is this how the season's really going to go? Is this really what we're, what is going to happen here? It, it's just absolutely brutal. So my apologies to everybody who dealt with that loss. Um, they aren't fun, and I think a lot of people, particularly in the fantasy football community, uh, because they looked at those matchups and the high point total and the secondaries of both of those teams, that was like a really heavy publicly bet over fifty two. Um, which is where it was. And then it obviously got higher. The sharp guys came in Sunday morning. They were also betting the over in that game. And, and yet it goes under by just unreal circumstances. All right, before we get out of here, it was the week of the underdog. It was the week of the outright winner that was an underdog. Therefore, for Monday Night Football, I think I have to bet the Raiders, Warren. Talk me out of it. Well... Look, there's there's two ways to look at this game. The first way is that um, Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens tend to dominate in week one. Their game plans uh, historically have looked really good. Uh, they come out the gates really hot. This is a team that never loses in the preseason, right? And they just keep that train rolling right into week one, and they typically blow teams out. Um but I have major concerns about the Baltimore offense in general without all their running backs and without the wide receiving talent. There are some legitimate reasons to be concerned offensively. And normally I'm not going to care if one running back goes out, even if he's your number one. Um, like a Christian McCaffrey, I think even a guy like him, you're going to be able to get like a guy like Mike Davis to replicate 
80% of that production, you know, in terms of efficiency. It's it's so much is derived by what the offensive line does from a blocking perspective and a variety of other things. But when you're without your top three running backs, that is going to hurt. Um, and, and that's the case they find themselves in, plus some of the wide receivers that they were banking on to come in here. That being said, I'm really interested to see it's going to, the, the, the onus is going to fall a little bit on this Baltimore defense and how much they can get after Derek Carr. And I'm really intrigued to see this sort of, I don't even want to call it that because it's week one, but this is what they decided to do to themselves. It's self-inflicted. This makeshift offensive line of the Raiders was one of the better offensive lines for several years from a talent perspective. They let these guys go. They moved some guys. Uh, Richie Incognito is not going to be available to them. They are going to struggle potentially to stand up to a Baltimore Ravens pass rush uh, in front seven, and that Baltimore Ravens defense has got to get after Derek Carr a little bit here. I think that's really going to be the difference in this game. I think Lamar is going to be able to run away from some of these guys. I think Lamar is going to be able to have some production on the ground here. Um, I don't foresee the Ravens looking spectacular offensively due to some of their issues, but I think if 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 this game comes down to something, my biggest matchup is the O-line of the Raiders versus the D-line of the Ravens. Ah, oh, shoot. Well, you didn't make me feel good. I'll just, I'll, just, I'll, just, I'll just stick to the fact. I'm not doing anything on the Monday night game. I have not bet side or total. The total right now is sitting at around 50, 50 and a half. It's come down from 51. Um, I think that's reasonable because of what we have seen with regard to the O-line of the Raiders and the losses of some offensive skill position players for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, so that's probably where I would be looking if forced to do something on this game would be towards the under. Um, but at, at this point, I've done absolutely nothing on this on this uh, Monday night game. All right, fair enough. It was an unbelievable week one, which was to be expected. Uh, Warren, I will talk to you next week. Looking forward to it, buddy. And that'll do it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will be back Wednesday with Ben Solak to dive deep into everything that we saw from week one. Look at metrics, look at angles, look at insights from a film perspective, what we're gleaning off of that, also from an analytics perspective, and start to preview the upcoming weekend. Special thanks to Chris Vernon, Mike Wargon, Craig Holbrook for producing the show. We will see you guys on Wednesday. Wednesday.